everybody. Yeah, it's a new one. Yeah, what is up? It's the P. It's not the way I say it. It's the fact that I put a P. And yeah. It's not the phrase itself, but, but damn. Welcome to another episode of Alternative Blacks Podcast. We will figure out an intro at some point, I'm sure of it. But today is the American Gangster Day. The American Gangster yeah, Day? Yeah, I, I just named it. It's, uh, it's American Gangster it's Day. It's American Gangster Week. Now, uh, today we're going to be talking about the perception of gangsters in pop culture. I, I think that's a ni- like a nice broad, a nice broad way, of way of not giving it away too. Yeah, 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 and yeah. not giving it away too too easy. But you know, the way we start off every show. But first, beer. So this is actually really cool. We were sitting down about to record the episode, and the doorbell went off. Okay, no, maybe it wasn't like the video. But uh, our friends out at Oak Park Brewing Company hit us up and decided that they wanted us to be part of this project, and we couldn't be more excited. So along with the beer that we received today, we got a letter. We got a letter! We got a letter! So if anybody's listened to the show before, you guys know we love Bill Burr, (laughs) right? Uh, We don't love Bill Burr, we love Bill Burr. And... (laughs) Um, for his advertising, he does, he reads off letters, right? Mm-hmm. We're not going to read it off like that, but it just reminded me of that. We're, we're, we're at his level now, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. So, from Oak Park Brewing Company. Oak Park Brewing Company brews people's beer to honor the legacy of the first African-American brewer, brewery owner, Mr. Theodore Mack Sr., brewed using the original recipe of the first black-owned brewery. So, Sacramento... California, August 28th, 2020 is when this was written, I'm assuming, or when everything happened. I'm reading the letter. <laughs> On August 28th, Oak Park Brewing Company released People's Beer to honor the legacy of Mr. Theodore Mack Sr., the first African-American brewery owner. Mr. Mack picked cotton in the fields of Alabama and rose to become a civil rights giant. In 1970, he purchased People's Brewing Company to provide employment opportunities in minority communities and brew beer for the people. People's Beer. Oak Park Brewing Company has partnered with Mr. Ted Mack II to create the historic collaboration. Mr. Mack II says the family is overjoyed by the People's Beer collaboration being a continuation of their legacy. Mr. Mack Sr. was a leader of CORE, the Congress of Racial Equality. He served on multiple civil rights organizations and led a group to the 1963 March on Washington. Oak Park Brewing is honored to continue the story of People's Beer. We want to tell the right story, and we got the right guy to tell it, says Raj Little. Shout out to Raj, OPB Brewer. Today, Mr. Mack's story is com- commemorated and will be heard again and again with every can. With the help of Mr. Mack II, OBP followed the original recipe when brewing People's Beer. People's Beer is a light, crisp lager you can drink year-round. This batch is going to go by really quick, says Raj. But OBP has already brewed the next batch to release in October at the 50th celebration of People's Beer. People's Beer will be distributed distributed throughout the Sacramento area with plans to further its reach in the coming months. Mr. Mack II said his father brewed People's Beer for all people. People's Beer is not a black beer or a white beer. It's a People's Beer. Oak Park Brewers, uh, Brewing Company's mission is to get people's beer to the people. So we're really help, uh, really excited that we 
get to be some of those people to enjoy this. Absolutely. Um, especially because as, as it is right now, we are, as far as I know, and as far as we know, the only people in Pennsylvania to have this beer. Which is nuts. Like, I uh, never thought we'd be here this soon. So We made it. Mama! Mm. Crisp, light, and year-round indeed. Absolutely. Uh-uh. And, it, you know, it, it hits kind of like the mold of the old school lager. Yeah. But... It kind of reminds me of when so we crisp. had Deppin. Deppin, yeah. It's definitely like a Deppin. Deppin was a cream ale, so it was a little... It was a little more sweet, where this is just, this is a little more hoppy. Um, You just get yeast and hops. It's really, really crisp, really, really good. So, I'm enjoying the hell out of this. I could drink, uh, yeah, I think you had mentioned it um, earlier, is that you could just sit back and drink drink this year-round. It's crushable! (laughs) Uh, But no, really, you could, I don't think there's a wrong time of year to drink this. It definitely reminds me of the end of summer, early fall, like just that crispness, crispness that comes with the air. Like, it, I was thinking, okay, I could drink this all summer at the beach, and then it hit me. I was just like, wow, this kind of reminds me of the time when the leaves are changing, and just the air has that like crispness. crispness we got we to get better with our words, right? Exactly, words. But then even in the winter, like when you're just trying to relax and you have family over for the holidays and you you just want something that's going to take you through the whole night, not take you out early, but allow you to tolerate everything. Yes, absolutely. And And in spring, it just reminds me of freshness. It's it's there. It's there. And of course, it's refreshing for the summer, as you you mentioned, on the beach. Oh, yeah. On the beach, man. That's what I'm saying. Now that I'm thinking about it, this would be so amazing. Um, it is, it is four point seven percent alcohol. Feels like it, and it's uh, made with cluster hops and American lager yeast. So once again, thank you so much to Oak Park Brewing for sending us over this this awesome beer. Oh, excuse me, with this awesome story, and it does indeed hit the spot. <laughs> it does hit the spot. So, thanks again. We are so happy to have that relationship with Oak Park Brewing Company, and we hope to be able to continue it, and we hope that you guys got something out of that story that we were able to share. So, before we move into the topic... Ooh, I'm sorry. What do you rate this? Ooh. I'm going to go with a solid... I'm going to go with a solid four on this one. Maybe... mm, Yeah, I'm going to go with a solid four. I'll go three, five. Look, we all know I'm classic, more critical. So classic like, Tyler. And it's only... I, I'm leaning more towards the three side of things only because I think it is a staple for the type of beer it needs to be. I agree with that. I think I am... And kind of... This, this is kind of going back to our shame podcast episode, last episode. I think I'm, I'm coming around more to just more lagers, more... Nothing crazy, nothing mm-hmm. super and overly hop. Something that's super drinkable, but is actually quality. And this is why I like Untapped because I can have this today, log it at a three five, and then as my beer journey continues, come back to really appreciate what they did, and hopefully they continue to brew it and log it in as a five. Because as I said, I think it's pretty like much of a staple for the type of beer it needs to be. 
Which some could argue, that means it should be closer to a five. Right, right, exactly. Um, I hit it. I hit it at a four because for me, enjoyability four is like my threshold. Like I'm gonna go back to it if it's a four. Um, so that's why I go four. All right, I'll go three seven five for that reason. Making them changes. Look! Look at that growth. Growth. <laughs> Growth three seven five to four, so average averages out to a four. We round up to four. Yeah. So, alternative blacks rating four point oh. Cool. All right. So moving on. Sample game time. I'm excited for this one because I would have never been able to figure it out. So, I'm gonna assume that you can figure this out, Chris. Probably not, but let's go. All right, so... (laughs) This song comes out of 1966 from a group that you may have heard of called The Beatles. No, I haven't heard of them. Okay, so The Beatles, they were these, uh, like, insects. Oh, okay. And they made music? Yes. Was it like harmonics with their wings or something? Apparently. Okay. And this song was from their Revolver album, and it's called Eleanor Rigby. (laughs) Wow, insects have really regressed. It's the strings, isn't it? (laughs) It's the strings. All I can tell you is the song that sampled it comes from 2008. And I gotta tell you, I played this back a bunch of times and it's still kind of hard. For me to find. I even went to the wiki page, Run. and the wiki page was like, yeah, Eleanor Rigby. I was like, there's no fucking way. Run it back again. <laughs> oh, oh, is it a Kanye song? No, it's not. Damn it. <laughs> that sounds like the flashing lights, like, dun, 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 Now you're dun. good. That's a good one. Um, oh, damn it. I think it ends up being sped up a little bit. I think it might have something to do with the vocals, but it's... Forgot really about Dre. No, that's not 2008. No, no. Because I'm thinking dun, 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 But dun. you're thinking the right coast. So it's a west coast. Run it and play it again. Damn it. Man, you, you're committed now, too. 2008, west coast. Who was around, who was around back then? That's a perfect two, like question to ask for this. I mean, I guess the game. Is it, is it a game song? It is the game. Oh, <laughs> is that... What the hell album is that? Is that LAX? It is LAX. Uh-oh. Shit. That's Uh-oh. the album I don't know. Uh-oh. But you would know the song. Ah, uh, what songs are on LAX? Duh. I can't tell you. <laughs> well, you told me this much. Because <laughs> you guessed that much. I, I honestly, no clue until you say the name and I'm going to be like, wow. The game featuring Travis Barker, Dope Boys. Uh, see, I don't remember this song. Oh! Is it that sped up part in the beginning? Yep. That's cool. So it's the vocals that's been pitched. Wow. Yeah, I would have never got that. Fucking nuts. So this is actually. This is on LAX? This isn't on the tra- that Travis Barker album? No, because like that, that would be the Can the Drummer Get Some. Yeah, right. That's different than Dope Boys. That was the same time period. But oh, I didn't know if it was like one of those where they put it on both, both albums. Both albums, like uh, Slow? 
No, drive slow. Oh, yeah, was that a Paul Wall? Paul and Wall. A, okay. Well, now I have one for you, sir. Oh, great. And this comes from feeling... Okay, this this comes from... See, I'm not used to this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, this, this uh, song is called Feeling Bad from Frank Dukes. From Frank Dukes? I have no clue. <laughs> uh, 2012. I know you're not Is it Kendrick? It. It's not Kendrick. And that's what I'm supposed to get out of it? Yeah. Yeah, it's actually a pretty uh it's actually a pretty straightforward sample. Okay, do it again. And it's from what year to what year? Twelve to eighteen. I know you're not gonna get this. Because you need to uh, expand your horizons. Wow, this can't be another Lupe thing. It is another Lupe You are an Lupe asshole. What, wait, wait, so what Lupe album is this? Is this one of the ones I didn't listen to? Is this post The Cool? Yes. Oh, this isn't fair. The Cool came out in 2007? Oh, oh and that's my fault? No. What is it? Because I did listen to the one album recently. Drogas Wave? Yeah. You listen to it? Uh-huh. Okay, well, it's the first mm-hmm. song off of Drogas Wave. No, the... And the one youth. before that. Tetsuo and Youth. Yeah, that's the one I listened to. Well, this is Manila off of Drogas Wave. I think I actually like this song. And Manila... Manila's were the currency that were used yeah, to, yeah. Slave, to no, trade I've slaves. No, I listened to the song recently. And it's literally just it's a that beginning from the beat. It's the whole, the, like, Oh, I can beat. still hear it. Yeah. That is wild. Fuck you. Turn this shit off. Yep, I remember the song. You are a dick. <laughs> That's not right. No, you should... I told you to listen, and you didn't listen. I listened to one of the albums. How am I supposed to remember everything, but, like, at one go but no, that, that, that That song... All thing, all uh, being in all seriousness, uh, that song is really great. Drogas Wave is an amazing album. Top three Lupe album, maybe it's the Ice Machine. I know it's the Ice Machine. <laughs> yeah, I don't trust it. Um, top three Lupe album, maybe top two. Most people probably wouldn't agree with that, but it's up there for me. Um, yeah, Manila's were the currency used to trade slaves during the mid-Atlantic slave trade, and the album cover art for that album is actually a painting by Lupe Fiasco of Manila's. Oh, wow. Look at Lupe doing shit. All right, since Chris is going to be fucking with me like that, apparently, going <laughs> going forward with these sample games, like I'm going to be studying Lupe a lot more. Uh, you know what it reminded me of, though? It kind of reminded me of Levitate, uh, which is Untitled Track Yeah, the Untitled seven. Unmastered. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah like... Yeah. Well, it's funny because there's actually another song on Lupe's album that reminds me of a track from, from Untitled. Untitled. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and this is why I think we find ourselves liking artists like Lupe Fiasco, like Kendrick Lamar, like J. Coles. Yeah. Me. <laughs> I like J. Cole, just... He, 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 he did better on Black Friday, obviously. Shut up. 
that hurt also, to even lie about. Um, did you see that uh, they dropped a bunch of leaks from uh, Kendrick's new album? No, I didn't. Or I knew the, he was coming out with something, yeah, but I didn't know they dropped the leak. There was like three... Well, obviously they didn't drop it. They, they were leaked, but... Um, they, they were leaked. Uh, I think there's three of them. You know, we three leak, or four. We all leak from time to time. <laughs> no, I'll definitely take a look at it. They're on YouTube, so I'm sure Sweet. before they get taken down, yeah. look. You know, they're like unmixed and whatnot, but yeah. they're pretty cool. Um. All right. Cool. So let's move on to the topic. So I was driving back from New Hampshire, trying to figure out New Hampshire. New Hampshire. Trying to figure out what the fuck we were going to talk about. We've been going back and forth. Like, what is the next episode? Like, we took a look at different things. We uh, have a list of topics to kind of go off on, but we weren't... Nothing was feeling right. We wanted to put more focus on different things. Way to lead them away from the scent. Yeah. And, um... So, we, I think we picked a different topic to talk about first, which was our last episode, Right. Yes. Yeah, and then this this topic was brought up as a uh, suggestion to talk about American gangsters. And we wanted to put a little more research, thinking that this would be a very research-heavy episode. Um, and the topic basically came up from my friend Jackie, who was driving, and she said, you know, well, what about, like, take a look at how gangsters are portrayed in terms in like, pop culture? And which, which ended up with us looking at it even further and saying, well, okay, yeah, you you have, like, your Italian ma- uh, mafia, you have your Irish mob, and how those are kind of glamorized and portrayed in that way. And just, like, even in pop culture at the time when that stuff was happening, they were sort of like these icons. They were, yeah. And then you have your American gangsters, very much so how, like, the Frank Lucas movie. But, you know, when you start looking at how these people are portrayed, like, I, I thought of Tukey Williams from when we were in middle school, so that was the game, because, you know, he, he was very interested in, in had, uh, I don't know what his relationship was with Tukey, but he had brought him up in a song or two, and, and Tukey kind of changed his life as he was in the, in the system or whatever, uh, and ended up dying, well, getting killed by injection, helped them inject himself. That was a really wild story. But you, you take a look at this. You take it, like, the look at the Crips, the Bloods, and all the, like, the Black the black Mafia, and all this other, like, gangsters, in terms of black gangsters, that happened throughout the ages, and how they were almost more demonized, or, like, what what is the perception of the Italian mob, I mean, Italian Mafia and the Irish mob, versus just black gangsters in general. Because even black looking... Panthers. Right, Exactly. Because even looking at, like, the NRA doesn't, like, want gun rights, I mean, gun registration uh, regulations unless it's about the Black Panthers. Right. the only time they were behind a regulation was to take guns away from them. Uh, but American Gangster, the episode title within itself was a nod to the movie um, because I often think about, you know, the uh, anti-hero, you know, when you're talking about movie structures, because I'm very, like, structure-based in terms of production and, and stuff like that. And so I watched American Gangster and looked at Frank Lucas as the hero of the story, anti-hero of the story. But that's who I was really rooting for, even though I knew what was going to happen. But the real hero, quote-unquote, like, is um, Russell Crowe's character. 
Right, the the cop trying to stop him. Right, because he's fighting a corrupt police system, creates this whole unit. But when you even look at that, nobody looked at Frank Lucas as a possibility of being the organ, like the the head of this huge drug epidemic going on in New York. They were looking at the Italians. They were looking at the Irish because racism. <laughs> like, there's no way a black person could do what he did. So it's weird because at one way I'm looking at the business mindset behind Frank Lucas and how crazy like that that was and like idolizing that in a way the same way I idolize Jay Z for his like process of stuff. How he raps without writing anything down is based off of a necessity because of selling drugs. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure your love for American Gangster isn't tied to Jay Z at all. There's definitely a tie, but I do love the story. I really do. It, it, it's very interesting just to be able to do something so bold like walk out into the middle of a crowded street and shoot somebody and get away with it. That'll do it. Right. But but there's there's so many different things about this conversation and how pop culture portrays it. You, you definitely see, like, the suburban youth kind of want to imitate it while sta- maintaining distance from pop culture, which people will say glamorizes all of this and that while we still hold The Godfather as one of the best movies. Right. It's, <laughs> it's interesting because... <clears throat> or Scarface. Well, yeah. And and this article that I, that I had brought up, um, it's a New Yorker article about, you know, why do we love gangsters so much? Why, why do we admire mobsters? That's the, that's the headline of the article. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it gets into waxing poetic about family members going back and thinking about, oh, well, you know, you know, my, my cousin or my uncle was a mobster. My cousin was a mobster. And, you, you know, you, when you think back about mob like the Italian mob for example you think back and they kept that business in that business and that was it and then they had their families and so they were normal people to their families but then they were doing all this crazy shit on the side and what it came down to was generally they mobsters are thought of as less threatening to the general population because when they kept their stuff in house, mm-hmm. even though what they were doing to their rivals, is there more beer here? <laughs> Doorbell. Doorbell. Doorbell means beer from now on. Pavlov. Pavlov. The dog. What was the science experiment? You ring the bell, then I salivate. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, cool. Good reference. Thank you. I read. Or I listen to Bare Naked Ladies, one of the two. They have a song that says it. Anyways, continue. (laughs) Uh, No, but so you have have this, this interesting thing where if you can separate the crimes from the person or separate the crimes from yourself then you can think more about them as either being, wow, that's cool, wow, that's crazy cool in, like, a non-I'm-not-gonna-die way, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not scared to die way, uh, you know, or you don't even think about it at all if you knew these people outside of that as, like, family members. So it's kind of it's kind of this weird thing where 
you you kind of it's kind of like a superhero you know these people are doing wild things that you would never think could be done by a human or like a normal person and they're doing it and you get to watch it on the big screen and you know it's not real to you just like a superhero like if we really knew that superman was real most people would probably be fucking terrified that someone could just come down and laser beam us all you to know death. What? You've been watching the boys though, so Yo. I know there's like I know there's like some like viewpoints from you watching that show. I watched like the first ten minutes, <laughs> but like I, I I see partly what you're talking about. Yes. So, but there there's this piece of separating ourselves from the danger that we see, and if you can do that, then you can kind of put them in their own in, in its own fantasy world almost it's not real to you it's completely separated there's no fear involved and you can just enjoy it for what it is you know and the issue there is that white mobsters aren't demonized the same way mm-hmm. that black mobsters are and Really, to get into why, like, why is that, you know, this article doesn't get into it because it's coming from the perspective of, hey, you know, these, these talent, the Italian mob, like, you know, it's just people aren't scared of them because they, they kept things in house. They were very organized. They were so great at doing their crime. Yeah. They were so great at doing their crime, you know? So, People weren't scared of them. But when you talk about, say, like the Black Panthers, there it, it was because there was a whole government-led movement to destroy them and to raise fear of the general public that they were coming for you. Now, all of a sudden, this fear is real. See, no, who's going to go see a Black Panther movie, you know, as a racist white person and enjoy it you're gonna be terrified the organization not the movie ah that's right see i'm so bad with movies that even i don't even think i don't even think about that way r.i.p to chadwick boseman by the way so you know it's one of those things where why and this is the question that i had at the end of this why is it that we can separate the crimes of of mobsters from our lives and and that's just how it goes versus how do we separate the fact that there are black you know crime organizations out there but they're black so they're automatically demonized you can't separate Right. So there, there's like multiple levels to this and one I am actually I alluded to this earlier I was really surprised on the lack of resources and the lack of like research that that was easily like google searchable for this topic and for this talking point of italian mafia irish mob versus black gangs and that that was one whole like issue within itself just not like thinking about it i think there's the conversation about pop culture and how like we're portrayed in different things and different stereotypes. I think that's a conversation, but it goes deeper. And um, so that's kind of even like when we talk about diversity and inclusion in a broad sense and then diversity and inclusion in craft beer. So it's like, here's all this research. 
and there's nothing to talk about this little area, and I kind of feel like it, it's to the same extent. Like, the lack of representation or the way we are represented in pop culture, movies, um, and oftentimes these movies reflect what was happening during these times. So when you talk about these Irish gangs, when you talk about these Italian gangs and how they're portrayed versus how gangs, like black gangsters are portrayed is vastly different. Just because one isn't wearing necessarily like a suit and tie, even though we show that, yes, yes, they were. <laughs> um, because that's that's one of those things I see on like comment sections. Like, well, at least like they knew how to dress and like present themselves and shit like that. I was like, well, no, they, we did too. But that's changed across the board. You, like you guys coming out in a camo fucking t-shirt isn't fucking like a revolutionary like <laughs> style statement. Like, so I don't want to hear about how we dress or present ourselves and what that portrays. I, I think it was just a very interesting um, idea for a conversation and, and a talking point. And I was just really disappointed that the research seemingly hasn't been done or isn't as easily accessible. It might have been done, but it's done from afar. It's done from, we're going to do this in a way that's like, it's cool to talk about this, but we're actually not getting into the nitty gritty of things. Because again, when you talk about these Italian moms or these Irish moms, and you talk about what they're pushing, because they're removing drugs. Right. But we don't talk about that in the same way that we talk about the drugs that were being run through uh, black organizations. And again, American Gangster is the easiest one to talk about because it was the one that was most readily put in front of you in such a huge way. Like, yeah, we have all these gangster films. If you go back to our uh, 100 film list, 100 black film list, and we, we discussed about this earlier on in the podcast, um, we, have, we have that whole series of stuff, but it wasn't as popular in terms of I feel like American Gangster hit all like homes right but I think and I think why that is is more because oh wait before we go into I want to the reason I brought it up was because even that shows the Italians were moving drugs in all that happened was we can do this easier we can make more money off of this this is what Frank Lucas brought to the table he said cut out the middleman. why don't we just get this direct and do that, which in turn ends up being a whole like business model for a lot of these corporate like structures that are like fucking robbing America. But I digress because we can talk about Bezos. We can talk about all these other people essentially being thugs. Right. We can talk about Trump being a fucking thug, but they're not spoken about as the people that don't have resources. And then going back to Lupe Fiasco, and I'll allow you to hit your talking point again, but. Uh, handcuffs. The uh, was that the Ashanti cover? Yeah. Um, for the only you cover, um, he says, you know, there's people that are out there that don't have any options. They're forced to pimp or like sell drugs. And he goes on to say, there's other people that that have other options. But the the fact remains, there are people that live in environments that they're they're only escape or the only superhero like people that are actually making money and doing things and are, are your dope dealers on the block and you have finite amount of options and that becomes your option so we demonize the people that don't have options to come out while not providing resources and then turn around and you know, but this but that but they're like you know, look, look at all these things that are happening in these communities they don't care about themselves well no you you the the community at large has never com- cared about those communities 
in the first place. Society has never cared about So we're not doing anything new, but apparently when we do it, it's worse. And that, that was really the talking point I wanted off of all of this. I give my I yield my time to Chris. <laughs> the floor is mine. <laughs> um, well, I don't remember the point I'm sorry. that I did. <laughs> I don't remember the point that I did have um, off of what you were saying. I would just like to kind of expound upon, you know, what is it about... What is it about the like mobsters and Italian mobsters versus black black gangs or black uh, crime organizations? Where is this division coming from? Where we can idolize one and not the other? And honestly, ob- or obviously, the answer is pretty easy. Racism exists, but how is that how does that happen that's kind of what mm. I wanted to go back and forth with um, if you have any thoughts on it my thought is is kind of the because because once again it's not like Italians or the Irish even if we want to talk like two prevalent mobs Irish mob Italian mob it's not like those two groups of people were welcomed into America initially. I have a good talking point, but continue. And that is interesting because it's even brought up like, oh, you know, Italians, especially Southern Italians, were demonized when they were coming into the country because as Sicily. drug... What's that? Where's Sicily? Sicily is south. Okay, cool. Off the south, uh, southwestern, right. boot, off the boot. The boot? Just a boot off the boot. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're media trained. What can we say? Um, so, you know, Southern Italians were lynched in the South. So, like, Italians didn't have it so easy. Irish, same deal. However, they were, they're still white. They're still fair-skinned. And they can still... They can still, well, basically blend into society, especially in this quote-unquote melting pot. Right, and when you're able to like create a bigger scapegoat, like sort of like if you look at Germany, uh, when you're able to, the way the beer poured is that what you looked yeah. at? Yeah, no, exactly. I had the same problem. Uh, but when you look at like how you're able to scapegoat shit, right? When you're able to look at like Germany, like okay, let's find this group of people, right? So you can say like okay, that happened with the Italians, that happened with the Irish, but what was easier to do? Was like, okay, let's look at the black people because that, that is so much easier to distinguish between who's white and who's black versus who's Italian, who's Irish, like all this mm. stuff. Plus exactly. you had that opportunity to change your name. and Oh my God, it literally. I, exactly, because let, let's be completely honest. My great-grandmother's name was um, O'Boyle. Like the family's name was O'Boyle. When they, they changed it to Boyle because that lent, yes. like, I think it leaned more towards mm-hmm. Welsh than it did Irish. Like exactly that is that is exactly it. That is absolutely it. And then Italians did the same thing. They would just slightly alter their names so it sounded a little more English, or mm-hmm. a little a little more and leaning the, towards. And the closest thing you could do it with, with black people was to change it to a white name or change it to Freeman. Or, <laughs> but it still didn't. Change the fact well, no, that you were black. Yeah, the name you doesn't be, change anything. You could be last name Freeman. 
You're a runaway slave. My name's free. Yeah. But, but it obviously doesn't work because what can you do about your skin color? But it's so interesting because earlier in the week leading up to this, oh, we should talk about uh, gangsters, like, conversation. So when I was actually in New Hampshire, we were talking about, uh, it's right, I got to New Hampshire right as Jacob Blake got shot. Right? Like, just, that was the whole incident, like, for there. So I remember finding out, like, a day or two later, because I had, like, no self-service, and it just popped up. And we did the high and low game. I explained that earlier, and that was my low. Like, it was just like, fuck. Like, I, I had to deal with this shit again. But we, we talked about this, like, idea. Like, Irish went through a bunch of issues, but what you see different... And it's not too different, because when you look at the Black Panthers and what they were trying to do, but what was different is... There was a time period when you looked at the police force, and what was the police force? Irish. That's true. So if you're getting, like, persecuted and everything like that, but you find a way to... Change the system, tweak it to save yourself. But how dare black people want to change the system? Right. It, it's crazy. And I think it come, it, I think that that kind of thing kind of falls back to the talking point of distancing yourself from the past or just being distant from the past we're basically left with one narrative of how things were and you get you get half truths and you get lack of information on things and you don't realize that what's trying to be done now is exactly what's being done or exactly what had been done in the future in the future in the past um, with these different groups Even of people. Even when I rap about the future, I'd be reminiscing. Yeah. <laughs> You're really just trying to like push J. Cole in there, aren't you? That was a J. Cole line? Wow. You were saying... You. 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 Ah, get, it. get the hell out of here. <laughs> you were saying... No, like... The things that are going on right now and the changes that are tr- that we're trying to make aren't so different than changes that had been made in the past or, you know, the ideals behind what we're trying to do. Maybe not the specifics because this is a, you know, it's a different age, but the idea behind what we're trying to do, just the concept of it is being attacked, but it's not so different than things that happened in the past. So, as you said, the it's you said it's this you know, the Irish persecution is was not so different in the way that they were persecuted, but they were able to basically infiltrate and set up themselves with in the within the police departments. It's almost like a privilege existed that was able to be had. Because of the color of their skin. Mm-hmm. It's crazy, like, to think that. Because you, you wouldn't think the color of the skin would matter, right? <laughs> well, and here's, here's, here's the other piece of that. Italian's a little, more, a little, a little less so than I, the Irish okay. in the sense that, you know, the Italians and the Irish were persecuted because of their ethnicities Mm -hmm. but at least for the irish it was far it wasn't about their skin color it was more about their religion and their and their ethnicity and the the long historic battle that had gone 
back and forth with that area. So, but with yeah. Italians, there 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 is a little bit of skin tone in that. But at the same time, it's still more of the ethnic and religious aspect of it. Things that your appearance has less to do with than skin color. And I, I think what would be really good uh, homework for people is, one, watch American Gangster. But, and I think this would have been really good homework for us, not the watching thing, but uh, there's the two movies. American Gangster, I would have loved to take a look at the backlash to that film being made and see what people were saying as to why like it's glamorizing this or it's doing... What it's act like, what were the big talking points around it and then go back to um, Gangs of New York mm. because Gangs of New York actually addresses all those issues too because Gangs of New York takes place during the Civil War so we're having this conversation about you know the natives which were all white people <laughs> versus the Irish immigrants so you had your dead rabbits you had all of your other different Irish gangs that were coming up in that time um, and then you had this Irishman who was on the native side and would get angry and really aggressive every time he saw a nigger, right? And one of the natives actually, like, made a comment, like, the, the head guy of, oh, I can't believe I can't remember this dude's Daniel Day-Lewis is the, the actor, fucking incredible actor. Um, but he makes a comment, it, was, it wasn't too long since the Irish were, like, he, he makes the, the conversation among that point of... Irish persecution and now how it's like portrayed against the the black people now and it really did this nice little juxtaposition of how these people were treated at different times because it was a weird cross section. But one yeah, but it's like once again, you know what that exemplifies the fact that you can eventually pull yourself into the mass and you know assimilate yourself enough to where you can hide in that mass, mm-hmm. and now you're not other. As a black person with your skin color, the most, the most, the, like the strongest physical trait you're given is your skin color. Unless you're Adonis. <laughs> the strongest physical trait you're given is your skin color. The thing is, you can do absolutely nothing about it while you're alive naturally. <laughs> We've oh, seen pe- oh, you know what? We've I don't even people. want to get into the conversation of bleaching skin. Yeah. And Africa. That, that's a whole, that's that a whole is other a thing. wild, wild ride that we need to discuss, but we can't, we don't have the time. But here's the other thing. As far as, like, as far as a person's characteristics and why you would hate someone, that prop, that, that one characteristic while being the most easily identifiable is the least is the least uh, impactful on how that person is as a person in a vacuum so you are so not only, not only are black people being persecuted and not only does racism racism exist in America the way that it does to compare it to Irish persecution and Italian persecution isn't even, it's not, it's the apples and oranges thing because you can, you can kind of rewrite yourself and escape that. Whereas skin color, you really can't. And it's weird because 
you know, religious persecution is kind of off the off of ideals and beliefs, a thought process that you could actually disagree with someone about and fight fight with them about. Same with maybe like an ethnicity type thing where right. your country and my country are always fighting, but there are black people all over the globe um, or darker people and natives all over the globe that were there before before the diaspora, you know, before the diaspora was created, that, you know, their skin color has nothing to do with the way they are, the what they do, what, how they think. In that moment, it's literally just because they were born in a place that gets a lot of sun, originally. So, but, like, I, I, I want to talk about this, because this is the, like, one or, like, only point that I really brought up, and then we'll get into Anador's points, because uh, mm-hmm. that's how we usually wrap things up. But, um, we, you're talking about the, the, what is brought into the naming of things, or what's brought into, like, the identifying markers or something. So, mm-hmm. for instance, like, if you became president or something like that, like, how big a of a deal is it that you're Irish, right? None. And I might be leaning this into JFK a little bit because I just did a quick, like, I, I wanted, it's a talking point I had, but I wanted to figure out how quickly without deliberately saying what was JFK's, like, um, heritage or, like, ethnicity, how how easy it would be to find that out. So I put in JFK, wiki page, couldn't really find it out. Had to click his father's name. Had to go all the way down to the background and early life and education section to get to a point where it was maybe three lines down. Yeah, Joseph Patrick Kennedy was born in 1888 in Boston, Massachusetts, which I know means Irish, but whatever. And middle name is Patrick. Yeah. <coughs> Kennedy was the elder son of Mary Augusta Hickey Kennedy and businessman and politi- politician Patrick Joseph P.J. Kennedy, younger brother Francis, two younger sisters, and all of this going on to all four of Joe's parent, grandparents had immigrated to Massachusetts in the 1840s to escape the Irish famine. It took me a long time to look that up. Barack Obama, I don't have to go further than the first Google search, and it's three lines down in the description of the Google search, not anything else, first African-American president. Well, I get it, it's huge, but like, but once again, it's the fact that an individual who's in the black, who's black, has to represent all of us versus someone else who doesn't have to represent an entire group of people or be judged for an entire group of people or have judgment cast upon that group of people for what you do. Now, granted, Andrew Jackson technically, I guess, was the first Irish president, but I can understand why no one wants to talk about that. Um... <laughs> I didn't know Andrew Jackson was Irish, and by his name, could you tell that? I just knew he was a fuck. By his by his look, could you tell that? No, he was just a fuck. He was just a fuck. Um, anyways, but but that that's kind of the conversation, though, is... He's a fuck. Was leaning into not JFK necessarily being Irish, but one, how long did it take me to figure out that he was Irish, but two, to look even further when we talk about, like, the portrayal of people. It's not confirmed, but... It is a very, like, not agreed upon, but accepted rumor that JFK's dad was a bootlegger. A moonshiner. He was a moonshiner. Right. During Prohibition. He was a moonshiner. Um, 
Could you imagine if Obama's parents had anything similar to that? Like, Obama's dad just wasn't from the country. So, like, and that was that an was issue. Enough. That was an issue, especially for our boy uh, 45. Right. Right. And, and that's kind of why I, I thought the conversation around the perception of American gangsters were. Well, it was a very interesting talking point because it, it comes down to the same principles. You could literally talk about JFK versus Obama in the same vein as talking about the Crips and the Bloods and the uh, Hudson Dusters, who would have been the Irish gang that moved a lot of cocaine. Dusters. Ah. And one of the shows I watched, The Alienist, alludes to it, but I was also watching a Netflix documentary about Irish mobs, and it was really cool to see all that like come to play. And I was like, ooh, I know them. <laughs> I know that gang right but there's no like but, shame or anything yeah. around that and so that's like but that did you see the, how happy you were yeah, yeah. about oh I know oh I know the dusters right they're my favorite team yeah. go dusters go dusters uh, but that was like that was really my main talking point because again I thought we were gonna find more research than we found it was surprisingly difficult to find Absolutely. talking points on this. And, and the and it's weird. The article, I found an article that was like a research-heavy article that didn't even really touch on the gangster aspect. It was just overall prejudice. Anything that I found that talked about it, specifically, were opinion pieces. And yeah. I tend not to like try to yeah, use opinion those as pieces, citations. Opinion pieces are, I mean... It's cool and all, but once again, it's usually not researched. Or it's not from, like, or even if it wasn't technically opinion and it was done well, but it wasn't from what we would consider a credible source. Right. I'm not going to use it to, like, talk on this show because I'm not going to allow that to be a... uh, A driving force on what we're Not a driving force, but uh, an oppositional, Uh, like, uh, ammunition to say, well, you got it from this site, and that doesn't... Well, that's kind of like with this New Yorker piece, like, I'm looking at this saying, hey, they talked about this, but they conveniently left out race. Yes. And prejudice. So, I I think this all leads into, you know, like, wrapping the show up, and the way I like to do this is going into Anador's talking points, and she usually does a fucking bang-up job. Bang-up. Bang-up. Top-notch. No, seriously, though. Yeah, Yeah. bringing different elements into the conversation, and um, she approaches things, obviously, from a way that we don't, and that helps. That really, really helps, because we're focused on very like specific point and she takes it more into even modern day shit and so she says black criminals in pop culture are often flat one dimensional characterized by the crimes they commit on the other hand white criminals are romanticized and depicted as multi-dimensional characters with compassion despite the crime see the uh, New Yorker article that we talked that we just talked about earlier in the show Perfect Easy. example. Yeah. And then this is perfect because it's so poignant to uh <laughs> poignant uh to what even brought up the conversation about like Irish uh, the, the Irish and the police force and, and different conversations than that. And he goes, This has real world consequences when Kyle Rittenhouse is portrayed as a righteous vigilante, but Jacob Blake is defined by the knife in his car. So, last I checked, you could have a knife in your car. Yep. 17 
automatic rifle or semi-automatic rifle for those who want to get really technical. Or Deadly any, weapon. Or any firearm right, ever. To cross state lines by driven by your mama. Mommy. Maybe the, maybe the weapon wasn't in the car at that point. It, it was floating on the top. Yeah. They yeah. had a, they had a gun rack on their car. <laughs> you know, it's very American, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to show off my gun rack. Um, and note, and she said, note the way media portrays violent white offenders, cites their accomplishments, alluding to a bright future, avoids calling them rapists and murderers. So, like, we'll, we'll get into what that even like goes into further. But yeah, how how is uh this aspiring cop defends himself by whatever the fuck they try to say by murder like by shooting point blank multiple people if he were to be black oh yeah he no he would have been dead oh my god the police would have regardless of him if there was a legitimate reason for him defending himself, he would have been dead. He surely wouldn't have gotten bottled water. When you approach a cop with a rifle around your neck, <laughs> hands up, after multiple people have been shot, and everyone around you is screaming, He did. He it. murdered somebody. It's very hard for me to believe that that person has to sleep in their bed. Not for me. Because I'm... No, no, no. You're right. You're absolutely right. It's not per- hard a, to believe. In a, in a perfect world, it's hard to believe that. In America, it is very reasonable. Because of instances like a Mr. Brock Turner. Oof. Fucking Brock Turner. And this is what Andor continues to say, is... Um, the note the media portrays white violent offenders, cites accomplishments... Um, or, you know, all, all these different things. And so you go into these different uh, articles. All-American swimmer found guilty of sexual assaulting unconscious woman at Stanford. And that's how and that was... Here, and here we get into the, like, the idolization of athletes in America and kind of how we have to try to... We have to conflate them as people with their athletics. And I think... I think there's a way to... To do that, but not in this situation. Mm-hmm. Like, all American swimmer found so positive thing, followed by extremely horrible thing, and it doesn't include a name. I don't know if it includes a picture. What I see here is just the headline. Yeah. Well, but I, I mean, don't think okay. there's a photo of the person. We'll, we'll go into the next one then. So let's go into the next one. Suspected teen gunman. Kyle Ranhouse spotted cleaning Kenosha graffiti before shooting. So the guy that was the guy that was seen by Everybody. tens of her of all all the people, including the police, because they were giving him fizz bumps for helping them out. What does that mean? Besides, they, he was helping them out by walk just walking around. They knew. They must have known. So he was spotted. He was spotted beforehand cleaning up graffiti because, you know, he just loves Kenosha, the place he's not from. And he just really, just really, really wants to keep the community clean and safe. And, you know, he loves the people. 
And it, it this one this one really pisses me off because it has. Well, I I think before we move forward is yeah. there was a very interesting statement um, from Trevor Noah about this whole situation, and I'm trying to to find it. And um, yeah, here it is. No one drives into a city with guns to protect someone else's business. They do it because they're hoping to shoot someone. That's the only reason people like Kyle Rittenhouse joined these gangs in the first place. And yes, it's a gang. Enough with the militia bullshit. This isn't the Battle of Yorktown. It's a bunch of dudes threatening people with guns. So again, when we talk about this representation of people, when we talk about... They're like, so it, it takes me back to the L.A. riots, really, and the Rodney King riots and shit like that. So, in like Chinatown, the Koreans or whatever like that, who were legitimately their business owners who ended up going out there with guns. That's their business. Not not trying to say it's right or wrong, but it's legitimately like their business. It, it, it really is a, I need to defend my property standpoint. And it's not even to then go further to talk about why is everyone doing this in the first place? Because that's a whole other conversation. That's a lot different than I'm across state lines with a gun to show up in a city with guns. Assault right. Like, call it the fuck you want. It is more than saying, like, I have a pistol to defend myself. You know, I have a, I have a little, like... It, it, it's hugely different. I, I'm sorry that I interrupted again, but it, it, I just... It, it felt very poignant. No, but you're right. And the fact, once again, coming back to bringing this full circle is these quote-unquote militia that are running around saying, you know, we're, we're protecting our freedoms or what. How is that any different from any gang and the way that they started? We have registered weapons. That's Great, it. we can trace you now, maybe, if we want to. If we want to. And so that's kind of once again here we here we have things like militia which which signifies grassroots for the people to protect the people. Um, you have this suspected teen gunman. You know he was spotted doing something something nice before the shooting. So could it be him? Huh? Or we should be a little more understanding. You know, I but but this this fucking headline to me it pisses me off so much because it's just like okay cool did you also catch him like beating off in his car beforehand too like what does that mean or do we still shot or what about the footage of him like helping beat up a woman in the parking lot because him and his like friends decided to mouth off at people but whatever um and then you go further and uh, she goes simultaneously black people even if they are the victim of a violent white offender are first defined by any and all incriminating information despite to find anything that validates their actions as if they, as if they deserve to die which she was referencing Trayvon Martin in particular about this and when we talk about Black Lives Matter not the most important name but when we talk about the movement it began here it, it's Trayvon and to be honest, that's like that's the first defining moment for me too. Like it was one of those yeah. things where like things happened, and it was just like this is the way it is. And then Trayvon Martin happened, and everyone was like, "Enough's enough," and that's when it became so much bigger than than everything. 
And that's what people still don't understand about it. Even like George Floyd and his past or anybody else's past, it doesn't give the any right yeah. for... Because like, one, you don't know this information in the moment. And two, the police aren't there to be judge, jury, and executioner. And, and that's what really ticks me the fuck off. And so t- for well, this headline to say, Weed fights and guns, Trayvon Martin's text messages released. It's just... Well, here, that, 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 well, as, as Anador said right there, desperate to find anything that validates their actions. And the crazy thing is, Trayvon Martins wasn't even police involved. It was no. wannabe police involved. Sort of like Kyle fucking Randhouse, exactly. if we're going to bring this full fucking circle. Bitch ass motherfuckers. <laughs> and if, if anything that you get from our show, I think, is, is the fact that we end up being very passionate about a lot of these talking points because we, we find it to be very real, very important, and um, somewhat not hitting home for enough people. And we hope... Again, most of the people that listen to the show, I'm thankful that you guys listen, but it's probably not meant for you guys. And that's why I always encourage you to share this with friends who just don't get it. Because even if they only make it 10 minutes into the podcast, at least you're challenging them. And that's all I could ask for. But to, to continue agree. down this, I mean. So, once again, now that we, we have another we have another example with George Floyd, and, and the New York Post can just go fuck itself, but George Floyd had, quote-unquote, violent criminal history, Minneapolis police union chief so fuck police unions so yeah first of all the there's there are a lot of issues with the police union and it's funny because i talked about unions and how important unions are and they are important but the difference is a normal union for union employee like for normal employees or a group of employees those employees aren't tasked with you know holding the people accountable to laws and reprimanding the people for those things. Yes. I just, I think it's really interesting. And they don't have the power. I just think it's really interesting to note because when we're talking about this whole conversation in the first place, American gangsters and all this other stuff, and when we talk, bring it back to cops, so we're we're talking about two power structures, really, two power structures in my mind that uh, have misused, right? Misused police, uh, not police unions, unions in general. One, police. Misuse and overpower and just dangerous usage of a union, which in practice and on paper should be good, right? And then you have mobsters who have infiltrated... Have we found Hoffa yet? (laughs) (laughs) Again, Irish mob, though. Like, when we we, we, we talked about the... Not Italian mafia, when we talk about the Irishmen and how that's portrayed, even. And there is that, like, distancing of... You know, the daughters not wanting to have anything to do with, with the father. And how this is actually really close to home in Philly. You know, all this, this shit that was happening, right? So it, it's that conversation, though. But, like, when we look at Philly, what is being more demonized? I don't know about the Irish mob ever getting fucking bombed. Nope. Or the Italian mafia getting bombed nope. in Philly. But you know who nope. did get bombed? Black In people. North Philly? Black people. Black people. So that's the whole conversation. If you haven't done the research, look up Move. 
Look at Move in Philly. Look at the Move bombing, where it was a police-sanctioned bombing of black people. And this isn't like 60s. I think this was 80s. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's... Even in the 60s, there's people that are alive. But there's people alive that can remember that. Yeah. Anyways, Wes, we're wrapping this up. Absolutely. Um, So, another example uh, could be the photos that media use. White boys are allowed to... Are allowed the luxury of having their fraternity portrait released, whereas black people will have mugshots or incriminating photos released. And then we have a side by side of Brock fucking Turner with his with his shitty ass fucking grin with his pasty fucking face. Sorry. And and then we have a black and white photo of Trayvon Martin with his hoodie on. Looking serious into the fo- into the camera, not really looking very. It's not intimidating. Intimidating. It just looks like this is my high school photo. I have photos of like this in high school. Yeah. Don't I've... show this photo of me when I, if something were to happen to me. Please show me like one of the photos that I have taken of myself, which are really fucking good. Oh Jesus. <laughs> but so th- these are these are the first released photos of each of these people. One is a victim of a murder, and the other one raped someone. Yeah, 100%. And it does, it makes, again, in a perfect world, it doesn't make sense. In this America, it makes absolute sense. And we are completely unwilling to admit that. Or the people that have enough power, or the people that can make a change, or the people that are left over who could be a deciding factor or a deciding force into being an actual like collective movement, aren't the ones willing to fucking, like, admit. And this is and this is so interesting because I think I've had this conversation with you. I've had this conversation a lot recently with people where my biggest problem when I find a particular, like, I think this way or, like, a, a certain situation. And COVID's a, the perfect situation to talk about is when there are issues that pop up with COVID and I have my mind made up with how I feel, I find it very hard to actually voice my opinion on that right away because I'm like, I don't want to be so hard-headed in the way that I think that I am not looking at the facts the right way. That I just like, no, I made up my mind. Like, what, you have evidence? Fuck your evidence. Like, that that I am the end-all, be-all, the, the almighty, know-everything, all-seeing guidance of the universe. And that's not who I am. But it's so fucked that I, uh, me as a fucking 27-year-old, like, biracial man in America have to constantly be putting that type of stress on myself because I consistently watch 40-plus-year-old white people unwilling to admit that there are flaws. And and, and it's only and because... It's on me. Yeah, and it's only because they don't want to admit that the flaws help them. Right. Because everyone wants to be a victim. Right. Until it's time to actually experience the victimization. Right. And I know you had some response points. I don't know if you want to like go through these or not. There's a couple quick points uh, from from this study that I had linked in in our sh- in our show notes here. Uh, and it's kind of going off of biases, racial biases in America. 
And there, there's there's some stats that I want to read off, but first I want to just hit, because uh, Anador did a really good job of kind of just summarizing all of the points um, in this study. So there's five points here. Uh, number one is whites are more punitive than blacks and Hispanics, even though they experience less crime. What that means is white people are more in favor of harsher penalties for crime, even though crime is committed against them far less than blacks and Hispanics. And on the, on the counter side of that, blacks and Hispanic people are, are less likely to want harsher penalties for crime than their white counterparts, even though the crime is happening to them more. And this is actually a really interesting talking point. And as I even started saying this, I debated if I want to, and I might even cut this out. Who knows? Um, okay. So, for example, my bike got stolen recently out of my garage. R.I.P. Right. R.I.P. Uh, I don't even fucking remember. It was this nice yellow bike. Um but I left open after mowing the lawn and never getting back in to close shit up. Left the door open for a couple days. And I only noticed because I was running up the alleyway. I was like, hey, the door's open. I went in, check everything. Lawnmower's there. Axe is there. Pickaxe is there. Some, like, really dangerous equipment is still there. And also some really, uh, really expensive equipment. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, cool. All these things that I'd be actually worried about. Because it would be hard to replace these on my money. <laughs> They're here. Cool. Shut up. Like, shut up shop. And then I was like, I need to, like, I'm going to Philly. I want to ride my bike from North Philly to Center City. Because I don't feel like paying an Uber and I don't want to take the train. I was like, I was just in the garage. I don't know if I remember seeing my bike. So I went in and my bike wasn't there. All right. So I even paused at that moment because I was like, do I tell my mom? <laughs> because it wasn't the worst thing in the world that could have happened. My bike's gone, whatever. I had that since middle school. So, all right, whatever. So eventually later in the day, I wanted to talk to my mom. And I was like, ah, bike's gone. <laughs> she was really angry. She was like... Outraged. Was outraged. She felt like... Well, now they like like they've seen the garage. They know that if they go through this window, blah blah blah. It's just like one anybody can see in the garage, regardless. We have another window that shows the whole garage. If they if they ever wanted to do anything like that, all they had to do was look. Two, it's an old ass bike. Three, they didn't take any valuable items really because my bike is rusting. And all I can hope is that they actually needed the bike. But other than that, I don't remember the last time I used the bike. And while this is a crime committed against me, because you weren't ever using my bike, and nothing was stolen, and I get that we've been robbed before, but nothing was stolen of ours, I'm okay with this, because it was my mistake, and I'm not really outraged. And, and thinking through this logistically and how nobody was harmed through any of this. Right. There could be what worse. Is this, what is this perception coming from? I know it's a violation of space, but but 
come back at it. It's just like, if I wanted to, I can buy another bike. If if the mower got stolen, we could buy another lawnmower. We're living in the area because we can live in this area. Like, while it sucks, it, it, again, it's just like, this isn't happening. Like, we're, it, it's... If it does happen to us, it's not really putting us out of place. Not to say it should be happening to us, but it it's a lot differently than someone who is already struggling to try to save up money to change their life, to, to do these other things. When the, those crimes happen, it's a lot bigger. And so when you when you look at this and say whites are more punitive, and when you when you start having this conversation, it's it's that type of thing because the reality exists. Where does the wealth exist? And, and when you, you talk about where the people that are very vocal about this as well is, mm-hmm. is them or the people that aspire to be in those positions to if your bike is stolen, it really doesn't hurt. But if your bike was your primary Source means of transportation, of transportation yeah. that's a lot bigger, especially when you couldn't afford to replace it. Right. So and that's the only reason I bring up not to demonize my mom, not to demonize any of that, but it, it, it it's a real life personal, especially if you listen to the podcast because of us. Like, I, I don't want to just like say these theoreticals like they don't exist. It's a real life personal to my life um, example of what we're talking about. Yeah. But these aren't these aren't even theoreticals. These are statistics done oh, in I, a study. No, I, I know what you mean. And the fact of the matter is uh the number there is white Americans overestimate the proportion of crimes committed by people of color and and associate people of color with associate people of color with criminality. For example, in uh, in a 2010 survey, whites overestimated the actual share of burglaries, illegal drug sales and juvenile crimes committed by African-Americans by 20 to 30 percent. It's huge, and it shows bias. So when I, I have to ask you this question: so when you travel, so you travel to a city, for instance, do any of your family tell you, "Oh, got to be careful in this particular place"? Hmm. When I go to Philly, and I go to Philly, yeah, often, yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yep. It's Philly. like. Well, yeah. you're, you're traveling to Philly often. Uh, I just want to make sure you're safe. Now, granted, my cousin got robbed in Philly before at gunpoint. She gave her stuff away, and she's fine to this day, and is now a chef in New Orleans, a very successful chef. I walked, middle of day, mind you, and there was a little bit of fear because of my family putting it in my head as I walked from North Philly all the way to Washington Square. Um, which is on the other side of uh, Center City. So it's like near the neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm. And um, part of me was just like, oh shit, this is like, I'm in an area that I don't necessarily wish I was in. But then at the other point, I was just like, what the fuck am I worried about? Nobody nobody looked at me differently. Nobody Like this, this whole perception of like, all of this shit's going to happen to you. You're walking into Philly. Philly's the Wild West. Yeah, that's not... It's not not necessarily true. There are things that are happening in Philly because, again, of the lack of of resource and the lack of, like, actual, like, meaningful change. Fuck, Frank Rizzo's statue was up there until recently. Like, it's clear division and clearly why things aren't being handled the right way. But to go off at this point again, the perception, the over, like... 
it is so blown out of proportion. There's an S word I wanted to use and I couldn't think of it. Shitty. Yeah. But it, it it's again, yeah, how how is it being helped? But but how it's uh how harmful these views are is I think what what is the real talking point. That perception has real life consequences. Trayvon Martin being murdered is because mm-hmm. of real life bias. Bias. Yeah, exactly. Bias, to put it lightly, racism would be more yeah. of the word. Uh, but no, you're completely right. And to anyone who really questions what we're talking about or what Tyler was talking about, you know, there are areas, yes, that are so dangerous that you can mind your own business and still have harm come to you be put to be put in a situation. But that's very few and far between. And once again, why are those areas like that? It's because there is no other option for the people in those areas. And they're con- and they're kept and contained in those areas with no options. Right. So it's not just crazy to be crazy. It it's crazy for a reason. And it was built that way and kept that way over decades and decades and centuries. So, you know, I I completely I completely feel what you're talking about, and I completely agree with what you're talking about. Uh, moving on to uh, point number three here. Point number two was kind of what we were talking about in terms of, based off point number one, white Americans uh, who associate crimes with blacks and Latinos are more likely to support punitive policies because it's, once again, that fear and that prejudice and that, that misplaced anger, you know, put towards these groups of people. They need to be punished. They need to know not to mess with us. And so then we go in, and then we go into uh, point number three here, and that is that the policymakers uh, have fused crime and race in their policy initiatives and statements. They have crashed. They have crafted harsh sentencing laws that impact all Americans and disproportionately incarcerate people of color. And this one is so so important. And I think back to our our buddy our buddy uh, Pence, Vice President Pence. He once he he recently had come out and mentioned, you know, we need to support or you know we don't do not hate our black neighbors. We the American people don't hate our black neighbors. Well, what does that really mean? Are we not Americans? Are we not the American people? Are we not the our American citizens yeah, ourselves? What does black what neighbors, neighbors mean? It's weird. So we're 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 not American, right? So so is that why they call us African American? Because I'm still yeah. yet to this day found Africa America on a map. Ah, yeah, that's right. Sorry, that that's just, that's a whole. I want a whole episode just on that and what that implies. It does well. There's new. There's nuance there that I think adds to the point. Um, past that argument, but n- another episode. But that's why I mean it, it, it's such a heavy. Another episode. Another episode. Uh, so, uh, a smaller point in there, Tyre. If you want to jump in. Yeah. So I was typing this up as we were having this conversation. I was paying attention to what you had to say, but this like brought up a point. You weren't it, listening to yeah, me. Is um, 
So these policymakers and these crimes that are done, like, so we've seen this even in Pennsylvania, like in the Scranton and Luzerne and the Schuylkill counties where these judges were essentially being paid to do these harsh crimes and stuff. So we've seen this even recently, not not with these particular judges, but with the, the, the black uh, young lady who was sentenced to, I forget how long, in jail, but uh, because she didn't turn her fucking homework in and violated, like, parole oh, or yeah. something like that bullshit. And then this uh, other guy who was had a Nerf gun and moved his Nerf gun while on a virtual call, and the police were called. 12-year-old boy. Same. So he's one year older than Tamir Rice. And that was the whole point of why the, the parents were flipping out at the school. It's like... They told the school district, if that's what you saw as a threat, call us first. Because we could have told you it was a fucking Nerf gun. Because you called the cops on my 12-year-old son. When in Cleveland, not too long ago, they roll up and within two seconds shoot an 11-year-old boy with a fake gun. And so now my boy answered the door to cops. Fuck off. Because you... You put my child in harm's way. Exactly. And and that's that's part one of what I wanted to say. Part two is so going back to Luzerne and Schuylkill County and these judges that fucked a lot of families and people. One of the kids ended up committing suicide. It was a white kid, too. And that's the point I want to get to. So even when white people are affected by police brutality, like the kid with autism who got shot recently and the misuse of policy and laws, there seems to be a need or a willingness to distance and disassociate themselves from these issues rather than to try to address them when they are like when they are deliberate not deliberately but when they are just unequivocally just in these situations that we have been screaming about for how long and if you watched our IG live about the US Open we talk about this with James Blake and Naomi Osaka and how James Blake has been screaming about this for a couple of years and Osaka is finally brought this into the light limelight um it, it becomes to this question you see the issue you are obviously aware of the issues that come into place but why are you unwilling to be as pissed off because it doesn't just affect black people it affects black people the most but it affects all of us and so why aren't we more willing to make these changes because of power structure and who it benefits Absolutely. They, because of like COVID, they are willing to take 0.01%, although that is a fucking huge amount based off of the population that exists within America. Within America, they're willing to take the 0.01% to maintain a power structure. They might not understand it, they but might, that's what's yeah. there. Because that's how it's been. That's how ingrained it is. That's how ingrained it is. And that's why it's so difficult because it's not on its face as much anymore. It's so intrinsic in the way that people operate, the way that the status quo is that it just seems, well, this is what we do. So you can't really call some, you can't really call yourself out on things because it's just what we do. It's just what we do is disproportionately affecting black people and people of color in general. And to the point on these, these people distancing themselves from, you know, these policymakers, especially distancing themselves from these bad actors, these bad lawyers, these bad judges, these bad police officers. It's always, 
the bad apples, right? And the bad apple has been like the term that's been thrown around, but no one seems to have finished that analogy, which is one bad apple spoils the bunch. Right. Just one bad apple. Well, we one bad apple. One bad apple spoils a but, bunch, but, but but we never get to that point. I, I don't get it. I, I I absolutely hate that it's okay for bad apples to exist within the power structure, but with mm-hmm. those that aren't being properly watered or properly like given the nutrients in order to be a fresh apple, so to say, or or to thrive in the garden that has been put out there by free labor. Um, when, when the, uh, when the people that haven't been given the attention that is needed or required in order to thrive, do not thrive. And then therefore become these rotten apples. We never look at it as a, well, they're rotten apples because we didn't water them. It's well, look at all of these rotten apples. It's no longer a, it's just a bunch. Wow. That was a poetic analogy. So, it, just to close out here, uh, there's two more points to quickly get I to. I won't jump in on anymore. <laughs> uh, number four here is by increasing support for punitive policies, racial perceptions of crime have made sentencing more severe for all Americans. As you pointed out, the United States now has the world's highest imprisonment rate with one with one in nine prisoners serving life sentences. I lied. I'm jumping back in. The police system and the way that the imprisonment like system as we know it has been put in place was specifically made because we no longer have slaves. Now it is illegal to be black. This way we can put you back onto the same plantation, same fields that we have taken you out of, and now you have to work for us for free because you need your freedom back. That's all I have to and, say about that. And on top of that... We can now profit off of that because we're privatizing imprisonment and we're now privatizing free labor, which sounds a lot like slavery, motherfuckers. And you know, and you know how this is blatantly different from other countries, other countries, you go to prison to rehabilitate. Yeah, it would be like the analogy between the Pawnee and Eagleton jails. I don't remember that enough. So. Pawnee is just like this fucking hell, hell of escape. When you're in uh, Eagleton, Eagleton, you have these like heated blankets. They have some scones for you. It's not, the, the officer comes in. How can I assist you? And and but that's the difference because what's not what's not listed here, but I know for a fact is much higher in America is the people that return to prison oh, after their release because. You're not being rehabilitated and you're not being taught to either. You're not given the resources if you committed a crime out of necessity. You're not given the resources to succeed in life without committing crimes. And on top of that, if it's someone who's committed something other than that, they're not being rehabilitated in there to be a functioning member of society. I think we need to bring on what would be our second return guest, not Stephen, but Mark Keese, because he actually has some firsthand experience with this. Not him in particular, but he he understands this. So, yes. On to the last point. So to to round it up here uh, in this study, crime policies uh, that disproportionately target people of color can increase crime rates by concentrating the effects of criminal labeling and collateral consequences on racial mon- uh, min- on racial minorities monitories <laughs> <Monetization>. <laughs> on, 
criminal labeling and collateral consequences on racial minorities and by fostering a sense of legal immunity among whites. So there's another piece of privilege there. It's the fact that I believe that I can just call the police and they'll have you arrested even though I'm doing something wrong. And uh, in bold here, finally, racial perceptions of crime have even led to the deaths of innocent people of color at the hands of fearful citizens and police officers. So I, w- I just wanted like to, in summary, thank Anador again because I think she always brings a really cool and a really fresh perception and point of view to the conversation. Um, while this was a re- initially the, the conversation comes based off of how American gangsters are perceived and how they're portrayed because it comes down to then how African-Americans and white people are, or black people and white people are sentenced and imprisoned and all these other things. So when we talk about these conversations, this comes in even to um, representation within the craft beer community because even what we, we talked about this earlier by just being in these places, it is a protest. It's a protest within itself to go into these breweries and to expand upon that even more. It's not just protesting that we belong here, but it is to willfully go into these areas that we understand we aren't often seen and expected to be seen in these areas, which, as we just said, is threatening our own lives. Because it could very easily end up being there's some black people in the parking lot. And they must be up to no good. And, and that's all I want to leave off with. Like, because it, it's all a various, uh, very serious talking point. When we bring up beer, we bring up craft beer, and we talk about why we feel it's so important, it's because of all of these reasons. It goes on so much deeper than a surface level thing. And that's all we are trying to challenge everybody, including ourselves, to think about is all of these topics from a much serious and a much deeper lens thank you for tuning in and until next time